You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us as U.S. President Donald Trump prepares to address Americans tonight in a primetime speech about the U.S. government shutdown. Canadians are feeling the impact on this side of the border. That's right. We're being warned about possible travel delays, including Nexus applications and other U.S. government services. You can see the shot of the White House right now as we await the president's address. Right now, though, we're going to check in with Grace Key who's live at YVR tonight. And Grace, you're hearing firsthand about the impact the shutdown is having for people here. Yeah, certainly. You know, here some of the airlines are asking their passengers just to be extra cautious to arrive a little earlier to give your sign some extra time to get through U.S. Customs. So we did speak with YVR officials and they say operations are normal. But if you have a Nexus appointment at any one of the offices, that's going to be a different story. When I first went up to the reception guy, he said, oh, well, we can only do the Canadian interview today. David Wiederhold showed up for his appointment, hoping to renew his Nexus card at the Vancouver office. He travels a lot to the U.S. and wanted to get it done before his next trip. But he found out only interviews with the Canada Border Services Agency were being conducted. Their American counterparts are absent. I said, well, what's the point of even doing my renewal? And he said, well, we can do the Canadian interview, which they don't do, right? They just stamp it. But he said, yeah, you got to reschedule an appointment. Well, short-lived. The John family was in and out within minutes. They were hoping to get a new Nexus card for their eight-month-old son, Apollo. Yeah, we only did the Canadian portion of the interview. So they, uh, they said we need to come back and do the American once the government shutdown is finished. The U.S. government partial shutdown is causing delays for Nexus card applicants. Travelers are being warned to confirm appointments with enrollment centers and that select locations are completing the Canadian portion of the process. While it's been frustrating for some applicants, David said he feels for the U.S. government employees. The American guys aren't, aren't there. You know, they said they haven't been paid in five weeks. They probably won't be able to stay in Canada because they can't pay their rent. I guess they live downtown. So he said they're probably just going to leave. They're working right now at the airport. With no end in sight, applicants are being told it's unclear when they'll be able to get their card. So he said there's 6,000 people in the same boat, you know, that have basically done the Canadian part and now they're going to have to reschedule. So he said when that happens, it'll probably crash the system. They said they don't know. They said if they knew, they would, uh, if they knew the future, they would buy a lotto ticket and wouldn't be working there. So... <laughs> They're fun up there. It's the Canadians. <laughs> well, potentially a lot of travelers uh, could be impacted here. What can they do if their Nexus card has expired, Grace, and they plan to travel very soon? Well, I can certainly tell you from personal experience, because we're in that situation. I did speak with CBSA, and uh, we were told that the card is still good for up to six months, provided that you put your application in uh, before the uh, expiration date. And if you're traveling by land, that's because you have that face-to-face -face, uh, with the officer and they're able to ask you questions. So if you're traveling by air, that's going to be a little bit more difficult. You don't have that face-to-face -face contact. But uh, certainly when we go on vacation, I can come back and tell you how it went as well. Chris? <laughs> All right. Yes, we're kind of a kind of a who knows what's going to happen zone for the next yeah. little while. Appreciate that. Thank you, Grace. Women are children are the biggest victims by far of our broken system. 
This is the tragic reality of illegal immigration on our southern border. This is the cycle of human suffering that I am determined. So to as end. promised, uh, we mentioned uh, President Trump would be addressing the nation. He is doing so right now, appealing to Americans in this live primetime Oval Office address. He's talking border security, immigration, and the ongoing fight to fund a border wall that has kept the U.S. federal government shut for more than two weeks. We'll have much more on his speech a little later on the news hour. Now, a show of support for anti-pipeline protesters arrested in northern B.C. This one in Vancouver attracting several hundred people. It's one of a number of rallies held across the country today. And while many were raising their voices in opposition, the pipeline also has many supporters. Keith Baldry now with more on the growing divide and the latest from northern B.C. In the capital, hundreds gathered on the legislature's front lawn to denounce pipelines and the RCMP's forced removal of a protest camp yesterday. A Green Party MLA was on hand to denounce the actions which were taken to help an LNG project his party's partner in government actually supports. The fact that uh, we are where we're at today, frankly, is an abject failure of the political class in this country. The protesters later marched through downtown Victoria to finance Minister Carol James' constituency office, as the NDP government now finds itself squaring off against the environmental movement. Today's protests were in response to yesterday's move by the RCMP to enforce a court order to remove protest camps along the route of a planned natural gas pipeline near Houston. All First Nations along the route actually support the project, but some hereditary chiefs in one part of one First Nations oppose it. In all, 14 people were arrested. You're under arrest, Let's go. The anti-pipeline protests were held in a number of cities, from Prince George... It's just a matter of getting the news out there, coming out to rallies, every little bit helps. This guy punched me in the face! To Ottawa, where it started outside until protesters forced their way into a government building to make their views known. But there was a pro-pipeline rally as well. In Calgary, of course, where pipelines are at the heart of the local economy. But the anti-pipeline views were on full display in downtown Vancouver, no stranger to environmental protests. All right, Keith joins us live in Victoria with more on this. Keith, what's the next step in all of this? And will these protests actually have an impact? Well, the president of the company building this pipeline near Houston just released a statement today saying they are committed to completing this project. Uh, There's hundreds of millions of dollars that are going to be rewarded to indigenous-owned businesses along the pipeline route. So they've received all the necessary authorizations and permits for work to continue, and they are committed to completing this project. But there will be continued protests, you can be sure. There will be continued arrests for civil disobedience. But uh, again, I don't see any evidence in any polling that the public supports the anti-pipeline position, which means no government's really going to feel the heat here. It's going to take a heck of a lot more than people walking through a street to shut these projects down. All right, we'll see what happens, Keith. Thank you. All right, now to that four-letter word that had many fearing the possibility of a dicey commute today, at least on the lower mainland, snow. Our Sarah McDonald is live on Burnaby Mountain tonight with more on what we saw around the region. Sarah? 
Yeah, Chris, well, as you said, it is that four-letter word, but here in Burnaby and across much of Metro Vancouver, that snow, that wet snow that was in the forecast did not materialize as expected. Today, we are seeing light rain falling up here on Burnaby Mountain and some strong winds, but further north and on Vancouver Island, that snow did fall, it did materialize, and it is expected to continue falling overnight. Now, snow is already coming down steadily in Squamish and on the Sea to Sky Corridor, which is expected to get hammered with up to 20 centimeters of it by tomorrow morning. A snowfall warning is now in place for the region, which already has about five centimeters of fresh snow on the ground and on the roads. And that, of course, includes Highway 99. Environment Canada is urging drivers to brace for potentially hazardous conditions on mountain passes once again tonight with strong winds and house sound only expected to exacerbate matters. Now, that snowfall warning is also in effect for parts of Vancouver Island and the Sunshine Coast. Up to 20 centimeters of snow expected there as well by tomorrow morning with a risk of freezing rain also in the forecast at this point. Now there had been multiple statements in place for that wet snow right across Metro Vancouver today. Those were cancelled this afternoon when that wet snow failed to materialize. That precipitation as I said falling as light rain across most of the region instead but officials are still taking this opportunity to urge drivers to uh, slow down in these wet and winter conditions with Chris as we know four fatal crashes across the province in the past week alone. Yeah, need drivers to pay uh, more attention. Thanks very much, Sarah. Appreciate that. And we're going to check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon now with more on the system that is expected to intensify, at least in some parts of the south coast tonight, Christy. Yes, so the main area that we're concerned about for the evening and overnight hours is how sound, in particular, the Sea to Sky Highway. This is Furry Creek right now. It doesn't look like much, but the snow is starting to fall and accumulating on the sides of the roads. And check out Whistler right now. Oh, unfortunately, it's not a great shot. It was just a second ago, but the snow is falling. They're expecting 15 centimeters by the morning hours and strong outflow winds in addition. So we're talking about the potential for a whiteout scenario on Sea to Sky Highway. Across Vancouver Island, we're concerned about Highway 4, still near Port Alberni, and then Highway 19, north of Nunus Bay, up through Comox and Campbell River. Now, a lot of that will change over to wet uh, terrain overnight, and a lot of that snow will wash away, but we're still concerned about Highway 4, basically from Port Alberni right through to Tofino into the morning hours. Chris. All right. Thanks, Christy. We'll check in later. Richmond is now the latest municipality to call for the removal or sealing of clothing donation bins. This as there are renewed concerns tonight about the dangers, especially in light of the cold weather. There has been yet another death, this one in Toronto, where a woman believed to be in her 30s lost her life after becoming trapped in a bin. The city of Burnaby also voting to ban the bins until a solution can be found. As Nadia Stewart reports, the danger remains, proof of which was caught on video as our camera was rolling. 7.45 on Tuesday morning. A Global News cameraman in an unmarked vehicle witnesses a man climbing into this clothing donation bin on Kensington Drive in Burnaby. Are you okay in there? Yes, I'm fine. Thank you. We call the police. While we're waiting, a truck rolls up to empty out the smaller donation bin on the right. All clear. On Monday, the city of Burnaby announced it was asking organizations with donation bins to remove them from private property until a safer option can be found, following the death of a man in West Vancouver last week. Earl Flett says he checks the bins on his route every day. He's found someone inside once before. He does not want to find anyone in there again.
Well, I already went through one. They already had them taped up, and I just told my boss, if there's any taped up, I'm just going to do maybe one or two more, and that's it. I don't, I don't want to do any more until everything's all cleared up, because I don't want to catch anybody in there. What are you doing here? Soon after, Burnaby RCMP arrive. The officer suggests calling for help, but the man rolls out on his own. He will not face any charges, and he would not answer our questions about why he climbed inside in the first place. It's not necessarily just the bins. It, it's poverty itself. It's homelessness itself. But homelessness advocates say desperation is driving people to do desperate things. Getting people off the street will alleviate the bin problem. A problem long overdue for a solution. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Now, while the city of Vancouver has taken steps to remove 90% of the bins from public property, there are still a few on private property and public land. Councillor Sarah Kirby-Young is now putting forward a motion calling for all bins to be removed or sealed. I'm hoping for full endorsement of this uh, on Monday. I know that Councillor Swanson has also indicated in some interviews that she's done that she's fully supportive of removing the bins. I, I think it is the only responsible option to do that. Um, people's lives are at stake. We've had two deaths uh, since New Year's um, here, eight across Canada, um, and five in BC since 2015. So um, there, we can't afford to delay, um, and I think we need to take immediate action. RCMP are trying to track down a tree vandal in North Vancouver. Two giant Douglas firs were cut down. Neighbors originally thought it might have been the windstorm. But as Catherine Urquhart reports, when they took a closer look, it was clearly a deliberate act. RCMP here in North Vancouver have a tree-cutting mystery on their hands. For the second time in the last few months, someone has taken down a tree in the middle of the night at Inter-River Park. The latest incident occurred December 20th. This 30 meter tall fir tree came down very close to a playground. Now no views will be improved, so neighbors are unclear as to why someone did this. The kids are playing there. There is a playground there, small playground. Yeah. So maybe to make it safe, I don't know. In a similar case, police and Vancouver Park Board officials are still investigating who chopped the tops off of eight trees at Spanish banks. Police have been going door to door looking for more information. In both cases, a handsaw was used to bring down the trees. But there is no indication that the incidents are connected. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. First, though, the man behind the wheel of the semi involved in the deadly Humboldt bus crash took full responsibility today. Jaskarat Singh Sidhu pleaded guilty to all charges against him, sparing the families from reliving the tragedy in court. Global's Ryan Kessler reports. Speaking in court for the first time, Jaskarat Singh Sidhu stood, telling the judge, I plead guilty, Your Honor. His position to me was, I just want to plead guilty. Uh, I, I don't want you to plea bargain. I don't want a trial. His plea is to 16 counts of dangerous driving causing death and 13 counts of dangerous driving causing bodily harm. The charges representing the lives altered or taken away. Sidhu acknowledging because of him. He wanted the families to know that he's devastated by uh, the grief that he's caused them. 
and uh, he's overwhelmed by the expressions of sympathy uh, and kindness that some of the families and players have uh, expressed to him. Members of three Broncos families sat in the courtroom as the judge arranged sentencing with Sidhu standing motionless before her. All I've ever told my kids is speaking about accountability and responsibility and for to hear him use his own words to plead guilty. That's a powerful, powerful second for sure. In Lethbridge, Toby Boulay, the father of the late Logan Boulay, appreciates the remorse. This is a significant step in the grieving process. It opens a wound, but it also closes the door a little bit, not all the way. There's more to it than this and than what actually happened today. So it does help. The Broncos team calls Tuesday's result a positive step in the healing process, sparing survivors and families the anguish and turmoil of the court process. The team president said in a statement, I know Mr. Sidhu has also been deeply affected by this tragedy. His careless actions will haunt him for the rest of his life, and I'm sure it is a relief to move forward. Exactly what happened in the moments before the crash remains unclear. Those details and heartbreaking victim impact statements are expected when sent Sentencing begins January 28th. Ryan Kessler, Global News. Now, as Ryan mentioned, Sidhu pleaded guilty to 16 counts of dangerous driving causing death, which carries a maximum sentence of 14 years, and 13 counts of dangerous driving causing bodily harm, which has a maximum sentence of 10 years. The Crown has said they may need up to five days for the sentencing hearing, which begins January 28th, and of course, full coverage here on Global on that day. A Vancouver-made solution to solve the city's lack of ride-sharing is getting mixed reviews. Cater was created in conjunction with the Vancouver Taxi Association. The plan is to have it on the road in the spring, well ahead of services like Uber and Lyft. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, some believe this is all just another stall tactic. Plenty of cabs to be had Tuesday afternoon, and there will be more coming. A majority of the new cars for Vancouver will be branded Cater, what the company likes to call a made-in-BC ride-sharing app. But other than a new paint job, telling the two apart will be a challenge. I think the optics sounds like it's going to solve something, but here's the problem is that it's an app based in Vancouver, so it's not going to deal with transportation across boundaries, and um, it's still subject to taxi rules. Through a deal with the Vancouver Taxi Association, Cater has been able to sneak in ahead of the competition and will offer what looks like ride-sharing. But as the cab industry found out with their app eCab, getting people to use it will be a hard sell. Consumers' minds notoriously difficult to change. Can you actually name any companies? Uh, just Uber, I guess. Oh, in Ontario, there's Uber. Oh, yeah. okay, Uber. Uh, Uber? Uber? Yeah, Uber. Lyft. Uber and Lyft are both waiting for the government to finalize legislation that will allow ride-sharing in BC. In the meantime, Cater plans to test its app this year, months ahead of schedule. I don't support us picking winners and losers here. I think that we need uh, to move forward where, where uh, companies uh, can come into this, uh, into this environment and uh, they can operate uh, without uh, government picking winners and losers. The government has already declared its intention to make ride-sharing in B.C. more complicated than anywhere else in the world. Different licensing, different insurance requirements, all of it expected to be finally rolled out in the fall of 2019. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. 
An Ontario man is livid after his first experience with Canada's new impaired driving laws. Police now have new powers to ask for a breath sample almost anywhere at any time. And in this case, all the man had done was return some bottles. Sean O'Shea reports. This is probably the first time I've ever been, ever been pulled over uh, by a policeman in probably 40, 50 years. Art is 70 years old and got a taste last weekend of Canada's new impaired driving laws. Pulled over in Mississauga because a police officer saw him dropping off empties at a beer store Saturday noon. I felt like I was violated. New federal impaired driving laws give police sweeping powers to pull over drivers. Should you make the criminal choice to drive under the influence of alcohol or drug, the likelihood of getting caught is about to increase exponentially because the police have new authorities and new tools. Art had not been drinking. He says the officer didn't like the number of bottles being returned. The officer insisted he give a breath sample, which he did, and he passed. So I saw you at the beer store, and to me, you were taking back what looked like, in my opinion, an excessive amount, amount of bottles. The officer has absolute legal justification to stop the individual, question him, and then without any evidentiary or reasonable basis, demand a roadside sample. Criminal defense lawyer Joseph Newberger explains the new rules another way. There is no rights at the side of the road now. You will have to provide it. And if you don't provide that sample, it's a criminal offense with a serious fine and a one-year suspension. Until this year, police needed a reason to ask for a breath sample. Now they don't. Not in the car or elsewhere. The law says you can be charged up to two hours after you were driving. For example, you could be inside a bar where you're drinking. The law lets the police go inside and demand you produce a breath sample if they believe you may have been drinking. Refuse and you'll be charged and will likely be convicted. Now imagine you've gone home and someone makes a report about your earlier driving. Police arrive at the house, knock on the door, person answers the door and they say, sir, we've had a complaint about your driving, uh, we need you to provide a roadside sample. And the person's been drinking and let's say at that point they provide a sample and they're over the limit. They can be charged and now have an onus to establish that they were not intoxicated or over the limit at the time of driving. Almost impossible to prove you weren't impaired earlier and that lawyers say will be a problem and likely lead to a court challenge. Sean O'Shea, Global News. This situation could be solved in a 45 minute meeting. I have invited congressional leadership to the White House tomorrow to get this done. Hopefully, we can rise above partisan politics in order to support national security. President Trump wrapping up his address to the nation just moments ago in an attempt to push forward his agenda to build a wall along the Mexican border. Trump promising the new free trade agreement with Mexico would pay for the wall but critics say that's not the whole picture and that Americans will be the ones who are footing the bill. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi addressed the public shortly afterwards, accusing the president of using, quote, fear tactics and holding America, American people hostage with the government shutdown. More coverage online coming up. Well, while the president prepared for that address, another bombshell today in the Mueller investigation. Documents that were accidentally revealed show former campaign chairman Paul Manafort shared important data with Russian intelligence and then lied about it. 
While Paul Manafort was serving as Donald Trump's campaign chairman, he was in contact at least twice with a man named Konstantin Kalimnik, a former employee of Manafort's consulting company, also described by Robert Mueller as a man with ties to Russian intelligence. The new details come in a document filed by Manafort's lawyers with some lines blacked out that can easily be read simply by copying and pasting them into a new document. They say Manafort shared polling data with Kalimnik about the campaign and met with him in Madrid to talk about what Manafort's lawyers call a, quote, peace plan for Ukraine, the country where Manafort earlier did political consulting work. These aren't government allegations. They're statements made by Manafort's own lawyer in a document intended to refute Mueller's claim that Manafort hasn't cooperated with investigators since pleading guilty. But it's impossible to tell from this new filing whether Manafort was intending to share campaign information with the Russians or just reaching out to his former employee in hopes of lining up future consulting work once the Trump campaign was over. Well, the so-called yellow vest protesters here in Canada are being accused of going too far tonight after they made direct threats to the prime minister. I think if Trudeau's not careful, he's going to get a bullet in his head. Well, comments such as those and others similar posted online have now caught the attention of the RCMP. Inspired by a similar movement in France, the group has more than 100,000 members on Facebook. They're protesting the carbon tax, immigration policies and other liberal initiatives. RCMP said in a statement they are aware of the comments and take all threats made against the prime minister seriously. A moderator from the page says they do not tolerate this kind of talk and it will be dealt with. A hospital in Alaska got a surprise visitor. He's a cute little guy. He's not so little, but... (laughs) Sure isn't. The animal wasn't seeking medical attention. It just wanted to munch on some of that seemingly tasty greenery at the entrance of the building. Once it had its fill, it left as it came in right through the front door. You don't always see a moose in a hospital. Not always. Mm Mm-mm. All right, in health matters tonight, the province is giving a boost to senior care in the Fraser Health region today. Health Minister Adrian Dix announcing $12.8 million to increase staffing levels at residential senior care facilities in Surrey, Delta and Langley. This part of a three-year plan to increase the level of care for seniors across the province. We all have to work together now to meet the challenge of ensuring that this work is something people want to do with their lives. And surely it is. Surely taking care of seniors and people who are well and helping them get well is some of the most important societal work we can do. The funds promised today will also go toward increasing the volume of MRIs in the Fraser Health region and concept planning for a new hospital in Surrey. A new study seems to prove just how vital exercise is in Alzheimer's prevention. A researcher at Queen's University has found a hormone released during exercise that could slow and even prevent the effects of Alzheimer's. The hormone, called irisine, is low in patients with dementia. Researchers are hoping this brings them one step closer to developing a pill that could replicate the effects of the natural medicine. So far, clinical trials have only been done on mice. Well, we've all heard the warnings about the dangers of vaping, but it seems teens are not getting the message. In fact, for some teens, the addictive habit has gotten so bad they've had to turn to rehab for help. At the peak of his addiction, 15-year-old Luca Kynard was spending $150 a week to support his vaping habit. 
And I noticed I was like, this is getting out of control. His parents noticed, too, a stellar student on track to become an Eagle Scout suddenly withdrawn and unmotivated. He went from being a straight-A student to an F student. Luca was one of the three and a half million middle and high school students using e-cigarettes, intended to be a safer alternative to smoking. But experts like Dr. Sharon Levy say for teens, it can be addictive and the impact on their developing brain still unknown. They're getting very high nicotine levels in their bloodstream, and that's causing them problems with things like paying attention and focusing. And that's really new. Now at her addiction clinic, she's seeing a surge in teens struggling to kick the habit. We're seeing more mental health and psychiatric problems that are happening immediately. After Lucas says excessive vaping caused him to have a seizure, his parents sent him to a 40-day treatment program where group counseling taught him healthy ways to cope with anxiety and stress. We're grateful to have him back. We've questioned whether we ever would. Later this month, the FDA will discuss therapies for teens with nicotine addiction. For Luca, where there was help, it's giving me another opportunity to, you know, start life back up. There was hope. Katie Beck, NBC News. Forget the chickens across the road. Why were the chickens in the car? We'll tell you right on the other side of Christie's forecast. <laughs> I see what you did there. Was it to get on the other other side of the? Is Not, that why? We're not totally sure. There are some theories, though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll try to explain it after Christie's forecast. That's right. They would need skis to get across this one. Wow, yeah, look at no that. Kidding. Yeah, so Courtney Comox, as we mentioned earlier, up towards Campbell River was some of the hardest hit areas. I had a report from Anne in Sayward. She says there's a good three inches there. It's still snowing, but we do expect it to melt away overnight as it changes over to rain. In fact, it's changing over to rain in a lot of those areas. So all the snowfall you saw today really should be a soggy mess by tomorrow. One area we're concerned about, though, is still the highest elevations, that Highway 4 over towards Tofino. So the focus still could be Vancouver Island, but likely changing over to rain. This is the amount you could see by the morning hours. But really now we're switching over and focusing in on the Howe Sound and the Sea to Sky Highway. So here's that image from Whistler that I wanted to show you earlier. So significant snow on the Sea to Sky Highway right up into Whistler. Darn. You never know what you're going to get with these uh, dry BC images, but this is one just north of Squamish, uh, sort of near Daisy Lake area, and it is also completely covered in snow, if you could actually see it here. Uh, so focusing in on that area uh, overnight, but it should change over to rain through the morning hours, but not early enough in the morning for you to get up there and hit the slopes, that's for sure. Meanwhile, for the south coast, we are, for, sorry, for the lower mainland, no snow, except for hope. It is snowing in hope and it will continue uh, to be on and off through the overnight period but metro vancouver four degrees overnight periods of rain and warming up to five by the morning hours and then for the next two days we're talking about just rain we've got milder air certainly pushing in but the interior regions will see snow tomorrow and into uh, wednesday night so significant amounts in nelson castlegar so that west kootenai region 15 to 20 centimeters, and up near Prince George, we're talking about 5 to maybe 10 centimeters there. More significantly, it's the freezing cold that you'll see across the north. So wind chills close to minus 40, a risk of frostbite anywhere north of Prince George. Snowfall across these regions and mainly just rain for our area. Mild tomorrow as well, and we'll see mild conditions into our Thursday as well with a high of 11 degrees. A little bit of a break Friday, but it looks like we're wet into our weekend as well. And 
And I'll leave you there with this great shot from Courtney, Mackenzie and Troy, grandparents of Sawyer. And Sawyer saw her first snowfall today. Oh, Sawyer. She loves it too. How sweet. Okay, from that to animal control being <laughs> called to an apartment complex in Iowa for chickens in a car. Yes, chickens in a car. The apartment manager called police to report this. Several live chickens in the car. <laughs> there were at least 10, maybe even a dozen. Apparently, there is no law against this. And since the birds were not in distress and appeared to have food, and even the window was cracked to give them some air, they were left as is. Police are still trying to track down the owner, who neighbors believe keeps the chickens this way because, quote, he likes them fresh. Yeah. That's what they said, apparently. I don't know. Have you guys ever been in a chicken barn? Is the neighbor Colonel Sanders? Yeah, chicken. It doesn't <laughs> smell nice, right? It's not nice. It's not <laughs> nice. You know, air freshener in the car. Yeah, not be fresh. No. Yeah. No. Okay, Squire's back with sports. I have a theory about how long Sorry. Elias Pedersen's going to be out. How okay, long? what's your theory? Past the All-Star game. That's your theory? That's my theory. Having suffered an MCL... Partial tear myself, long time ago. You missed the All Star game. I missed the All Star game. Were you? I was in my twenties of the professional variety at that time. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think he will be at the All Star game. That's that's my. Prediction. Okay, you guys. Okay, we'll one of us will I'm be the right. Moderator. I'll okay. remember this. Uh, what we don't know is how long the Canucks will have to live without Elias Pettersson. It's a wait and see game with his knee injury. Shouldn't be too long though. I think. But without him, the Canucks are like a band without their lead singer. Oh, they can play the tunes, but nobody's getting rocked. When you think about the end of last season, we talked about how the Canucks would replace the Sedin's offense, or really, how could they replace the Sedin's offense? And in many ways, Elias Pettersson has done it all by himself. It's Besser with Pettersson. Pettersson shoots, scores! Elias Pettersson, first career hat-trick this is the last time the Canucks scored a goal, and not surprisingly, it came off of Elias Pettersson's stick. Pettersson's hat-trick performance nearly a week ago in Ottawa, the last semblance of offense we've seen from the Canucks, who've now been shut out in back-to-back -back games in three of their last four. When you lose your most offensive guy, it's going to take a whole lot of your offense, and we're not going to ask guys to do stuff that they're not capable of. It's There's no magic remedy into scoring in this league. We've gone over that. It's... You know, off your breakouts, off your neutral zone play, if you can score on the rush, it's a good thing. And in the offensive zone, you've got to be hard. You've got to win puck battles. You've got to play quick. There's a lot of things that go into it, but it's going to need a team effort right now. And, you know, obviously we didn't get it done last game or the game before that. Pedersen drops it off. Here's Besser across. Shot. Scores! Elias Pedersen! During their recently completed six-game road trip, the Canucks scored 11 goals. Five potted by Petey and a pair by Brock Besser. You don't need a scouting report to figure out who drives the Canucks offense. Now it's time for a lot of those Canuck passengers to hop into the driver's seat, currently vacated by the injured Elias Pettersson. Obviously we, we, we do lean on him to, to produce and, and to put up uh, put up points and score, but and, and he's been doing that, but um, you know, we have won uh, games with him out of the lineup in the past and, and guys have stepped up and, and uh, 
and scored in key times, and I think we've got to do that while he's out and hopefully be back in the lineup as soon as possible. Um, I, I think when uh, things aren't going well and you aren't scoring goals as much, I think that's when you really need to bear down and get some greasy goals and, and really uh, crash crash the pain. And, um, you know, once they start going in, I think uh, some other guys can uh, start producing. And uh, I think uh, if we do that and continue to do that, I think we'll, we'll start getting the results we want. Well, maybe Adam Gaudet can help with the scoring. He has seven points in seven games with Utica, including a three-point game a few days ago. Didn't get a lot of points in his 31 games with the Canucks earlier in the year. Two goals, four assists. But maybe success in the American League will improve his confidence and his luck around NHL nets. Well, the Canucks' next game is Thursday, home to Arizona. I'm guessing Jacob Markstrom is going to get the start in that one with Thatcher Demko backing up. But the very fact... The goalie of the future is finally here as the backup means a lot, not just to Demko, but to the team. Demko has taken a big step in his career, which is even more impressive considering he had to overcome that concussion earlier this season. And because of that, making it to the NHL has extra special meaning. I think the most rewarding thing is just how proud my family is and um, you know some of the texts that I got from not only my parents, obviously, but you know aunts and uncles and and people that have been keeping an eye on me, and um, it's just a, a really satisfying feeling to see those guys, you know, so proud and, and uh, always had my back, you know, since I was, you know, two years old playing. So uh, I think that's the coolest part for me. This should be good. Blake Wheeler and the Jets against the Colorado Avalanche, two of the best in the West. Here we go. It's 0-0. Tanev, Perot, Matthew Perot scores. One nothing for Winterpeg. And then, shorthanded, there's Blake Wheeler. We just showed you him a moment ago. Wheeler, Shifley, Sh- Wheeler. Nice. 4-3 early in the third for Winterpeg. Of course, last night we mentioned the bad news that sports writer Jim Taylor died at the age of 82 yesterday. A prolific writer of books and newspaper columns. He appeared on radio and television during his long career. He was the kind of writer that would make people laugh out loud reading his thoughts in the newspapers. CFL Hall of Famer, he loved the Canadian Football League, and he's also a member of the BC Sports Hall of Fame. He was inducted in that back in 2005. When we lost Jim Taylor, we lost one of the greats um, in terms of writing, in terms of, um, you know, just as a person. As great of a writer as he was, as funny as he was, as much of a character, um, those that knew him, know that he was an even better person and and you often can't say that i I notice he types like you he does yes he types a little a a lot of people in this industry in the sports (laughs) industry do the two fingers but fast though a lot of magic can come out of two fingers it did in his case yeah Here's your snow report for this Tuesday evening. No snow for Whistler, Grouse, Cypress, or Sasquatch, but that will change in the next 24 hours. Revelstoke, Fernie, also no new snow, but Manning Park received 7 centimeters in the last 24 hours, and Whitewater, too. Significant snow in through the BC interior over the last little while. Big White getting 3 centimeters, but Silver Star getting a whopping 23. Sun Peaks at 7. Kicking Horse received a nice little dusting of 2 centimeters. Mount Washington, no new snow. Powder King also. The world's largest technology show, CES, 
opened in Las Vegas this morning. More than 45,000 tech businesses showing off more than 400,000 products. A glimpse into the future that's only open to those in the industry. But reporter Jay Gray has your look inside. The high-profile dance party. This year's show, Artificial Intelligence, pushing robots like Walker. Here they are. One step closer to mainstream reality. Hello, everyone. He can open doors, he can also bring you a snack, and then he can also hang up things around the house and turn on lights and uh, smart devices. But as science fiction becomes fact with seemingly every kind of device you can imagine, there are growing concerns about safety in this new world. Because for these devices to really work well, they want to predict things about you and know more about you and your preferences. And so that brings all sorts of privacy concerns. Pindrop uses deep learning technology. Welcome home. To make sure it's only your voice that activates your home devices or accesses your bank and other accounts. Other tech designed to protect an air quality monitor that provides real-time information and even detects dangerous radon gas. And this panic button and audible alarm that sticks to the back of your smartphone and notifies a monitoring service and up to seven friends or family members if there's an emergency, using GPS to show them exactly where you are. I'm sorry, I cannot confirm your identity. Safety, now one of the most important functions in the evolving world of high tech. I'm telling you, one of these days that robot's going to go get you a drink and then he's going to put his hands around your throat when you least expect it. Don't. It can't Tell be. Tell you, man. Be that Terminator is coming if this keeps up. <laughs> Dave, <laughs> Dave, what are you doing? Exactly. Creepy. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Sure. All right. Hope, uh, hope you're not in the snow zone. Have a good night. Good night, everyone.